Hello and welcome to the AdNub podcast, the podcast for the Adelaide.net user group. I'm your host, David Gardner. This is a recording from our July 2023 meeting. Chat GPT client with Blazor, GraphQL.net and Azure OpenAPI service with John Merchant. And now over to the presentation. Hey everyone, uh, thanks for coming out and thanks to David and the rest of the organizing team for organizing this night's AdNug. Uh, tonight I'll be talking about um, building a ChatGPT client with Blazor, GraphQL, and uh, Azure OpenAI service. Uh, first of all, a little bit about me. So I've been building software with .NET for just a little bit over 10 years now. So I guess I can say I kind of enjoy it. <laughs> um, I'm a proud Adelaidean, but uh, spent the last maybe four years recently in Melbourne doing Melbourne things, uh, kind of getting around the tech scene there, which has been pretty fun, meeting lots of exciting, cool people and working with some awesome teams. Uh, I enjoy things like gaming, cycling, beers, and learning cool things, most of all. And uh, currently I work as a consultant with Xenix, which is part of Mantel Group, and we are a uh, .NET and Azure consultancy. And we do a lot of fun things with uh, .NET and Azure and other Microsoft technologies. Uh, got my socials at the bottom. And you can scan that and that'll take me to my website, which is kind of like an index of my socials. <laughs> so when ChatGPT first launched, I was kind of mesmerized by one thing, or two, rather two things. First of all, the content it was outputting was quite amazing for a chatbot. I'd never seen anything quite like it. But the thing that really captured my interest was the streaming responses. I just thought that was a really cool feature. So I set out to kind of build upon um, some new technologies I was learning at the time as well. So I've been trying to learn Blazor, which is a uh, full stack um, or it's a front-end framework, but you can write um, C-sharp and it runs in WebAssembly. So the focus was to um, build a feature complete interface with the ChatGPT completions API. So essentially cloning or kind of building an interface that resembles the ChatGPT production interface and getting as many features in there that it could be potentially deployed to production with a little bit more work, but just enough to demo the uh, core features and concepts. So by production capable, I mean, I can't deploy it straight away to the public, but with a little bit more work, it could be deployed as a public web application with not much more work. So of course, the uh, streaming responses with blinking cursor, uh, 
one of the challenges was how to achieve that with uh, Blazor WebAssembly. And of course, I didn't want to just uh, build a kind of clone of ChatGPT. I wanted to add my own spin on it. So I built an embedded visualization for uh, geographic information with uh, Azure Maps service. And uh, of course, have fun. This is a fun project that I did on the weekend, and it's sort of extended into a, a talk that I thought I'd enjoy sharing. And a full disclaimer as well, I'm not a AI engineer. Um, I'm a web developer. I don't have any kind of expertise with fine tuning or um, like production use cases for AI. I've just built a user interface for a API that's already there. You can talk to some of my colleagues at Mantel Group who specialize in AI if you want to hear an authoritative source on that. So first of all, what's in a production capable ChatGPT front-end? There's a screenshot. So first of all, we've got a persistent chat history. Um, that's just a list of conversations you've had with um, ChatGPT stored on their servers. It's persisted in their backends. And uh, if you tick a box, it won't do that. It will go into private mode where they don't persist your conversations. They don't train the model on your data, but by default, that's on. Uh, we've got streaming responses as well. And we've got rich text and syntax highlighting. So that's another feature I'm going to build as well. And of course, we've got authentication and authorization. So we don't want to be able to read other people's conversations uh, or log in as anyone else. That'd be bad. So we've got the OpenAI Chat Completions API. And this is a service that um, you can either use the public instance on OpenAI, or you can use the uh, Azure OpenAI services that is a private instance. So to interact with the API, you first of all need to provide a list of messages um, with the text content and role associated with them. So for a new conversation, that will just include, um, say, the initial prompt from the user. It'll be one message. But every time you send a new or append a new message to the conversation, you send it off to the server with the new state of the um, conversation and it will respond with the um, the completed response. So the model will guess or it will um, guess the next what the next message should look like. We've got three roles. We've got the end user, so that's you. 
system, which is this invisible prompt that establishes the context between the user and the assistant or bot. And you've got the assistant, which is ChatGPT's role. And the way it's streamed um, from the ChatGPT API is server sent events. So if you're familiar with WebSockets, it's uh, like a push only um, feature of the HTTP protocol. So WebSockets are bi-directional and server sent events are only unidirectional. So this is what a request a post request to the um, ChatGPT completions API looks like. There's the role, the uh, system prompt, and use that to establish the uh, initial context. Then you've got your user prompt and that's the user provided input. And when you post that off to ChatGPT, you'll get response that looks like this. So it will respond with what it thinks should be the next um, message in the conversation. And you'll see that you get a choices array. Currently, I think the API only responds with a one choice, but I think they've structured, structured it like that. So potentially you could pick multiple choices in the future. You'll also notice the finish reason there. Um, that's for streaming over service and events. So I think when it's still streaming, the finish reason will be uh, streaming. And at the bottom, you have uh, the usage statistics. So we're going to do a demo now. We're going to authenticate and log in with our uh, chat GPT conversation. So here it is, the uh, front end that I've built. So that says loading there, just because I don't have any custom error handling yet. But if we log in, um, Log in with my company's um, two-factor authentication. I'm just going to do that in another window. And that should log me in. So it says at the bottom, hello, John Merchant. So I now have a session with, uh, with my front end. So the next thing I'm going to demo is a basic conversation. Going to wait a little bit for that um, conversation history to load. 
and also start up my backend because my backend isn't running. Bear with me for a second. The, the demo gods have not been kind to me today. Aha! It just took a while to unload. <laughs> so the reason there's a bit of a delay there is because I'm not... Um, I'm not loading from a database locally. That's in Azure Cosmos DB. So uh, I'm going to show you what this front end looks like. I'll give it something reasonably nonsensical like hello world. Hello, how can I assist you today? And I'll ask a question like, can you show how to implement the repository pattern in C-sharp with EFCore. That's a pretty standard ChatGPT query. And uh, there it is streaming out the response. Alrighty. So what's the overall architecture of this solution? There's a couple of moving parts that helped it all come together. Uh, first of all, on the back end, we're using .NET with ASP.NET Core. And on the front end, we're using Blazor WebAssembly. Now, the, the uh, .NET backend um, persists all its data in Cosmos DB. It uses uh, Azure OpenAI services to um, get that model, the ChatGPT model, to uh, send off those uh, API requests to. And we've also got a Blazor WebAssembly front end application and that integrates with Azure Active Directory over OAuth 2. And we've also got Azure Maps as well, which I'll demo a bit later. You can see as well the Blazor WebAssembly application communicates to ASP.NET over GraphQL. Now there's two transports for GraphQL that I'm using. I'm using the HTTP transport for queries and mutations. So if you're not familiar with GraphQL, you're probably familiar with HTTP. In, in GraphQL, mutation is like a post request, it changes state on the server, and a query is like a get request. It's, in a, it's a read-only idempotent request. 
let's have a look at the various different packages that I've installed. Uh, I've installed a lot more than these, but these are the uh, major ones that I'd like to talk about. Uh, we'll go from left to right. First of all, we've got Blazor WebAssembly, the fantastic um, uh, full or C-sharp uh, Razor front-end library or framework you can use to write applications purely in C-sharp, no JavaScript required. In fact, I don't think I wrote any JavaScript when I'm um, creating this application. Uh, we've got the Strawberry Shake um, GraphQL client. I've got the Blazorize component library, which uses um, the Bootstrap CSS framework in the backend. Um, and we've got the Azure Maps uh, map visualization component, which is a Razor component, but we can pull it into Blazor. Uh, in the back end, we have ASP.NET Core, which is the web framework from Microsoft. Runs at the back end. It's really fast. It's really cool. Love it. Um, and we've got the Hot Chocolate GraphQL server, which is a very popular um, GraphQL server library for .NET. Uh, it can do everything: code first, schema first. Um, yeah, great framework. Then we've got the Azure OpenAI client, which is currently in beta. Um, there's other um, ChatGPT or OpenAI client um, libraries out there on NuGet. Um, but I reckon most people going forward, in, at least in the .NET space, will be using Azure OpenAI client library. Then we've got Azure uh, Cosmos DB, which is a NoSQL um, database uh, service, and it's got a client for .NET as well. It's kind of similar to MongoDB. And then in both the front end and the back end, we have access to the .NET 7.0 runtime. So all the language features and standard libraries you know in um, .NET on the back end can also be utilized in the front end using Blazor. And we've got the same language in both the front end and back end at the same time, C Sharp 11.0. And I forgot to uh, bring up the title. Huh. Next slide. So I'm going to show you the solution. And the IDE I'm using is uh, JetBrains Writer. They're not familiar with JetBrains Writer. It's cool. Love it. So here's my solution. Is that readable? Is that legible to everyone? Great. So we've got two um, applications that run. We've got blazerbrain.client, which is the Blazor WebAssembly project. Now, just bring up the CS project file so you can have a look. And I'll make the font a bit bigger as well. Just like that. So you see the runtime up here, or, or the rather the SDK, is Blazor WebAssembly. And I think that enables a few different things. It enables um, Razor class or, or Razor compilation, 
and it enables embedding the mono runtime as a WebAssembly um, executable. And here are all the packages we've installed. We have the Azure Maps control, which is the Razor um, Azure Maps component. We've got uh, Bootstrap 5 uh, for Blazorize component library, Fontawesome icons we can pull in, Markdig, which is a markdown renderer for C Sharp, and uh, Color Code, markdown.colorcode, which is uh, syntax highlighting and code formatting for markdown. Then we've got the standard uh, Blazor WebAssembly packages, which includes the host and the dev server. And we have the Microsoft Authentication Library, which we use for the OAuth 2 authentication. And finally, we've got Strawberry Shake Blazor, which is the uh, GraphQL client library. So in the back end, we have this web project, and this is an ASP.NET um, core application. So the SDK is Microsoft.NET SDK web. Um, and here we have the GraphQL server libraries. We have the um, Redis package for uh, subscriptions, publish and subscribe. And we've got the authentication libraries as well. So we can validate the JWT the, the, um, the front end is sending us after it's logged in. All right, that covers that. So let's talk a little bit about GraphQL. How many people have used GraphQL before? That's pretty cool. So I find that GraphQL is suitable for rapid prototyping and evolving APIs more than REST is, because when you're evolving and building a REST API over time, what you start finding is you have to start drastically restructuring your API to support new and different use cases. Um, and one of the common patterns to do that is with versioning. So what you'll commonly end up with is when you introduce breaking, feature, breaking changes to your uh, REST APIs, you end up having to go, okay, we've got API slash V slash 1.0, API 1.5, API 2.0. And something that GraphQL does really well is you can kind of evolve your uh, API schema over time by adding fields. So what we can do as well with GraphQL is we can stream um, responses like the ChatGPT conversation responses over WebSockets. And the reason it's a WebSocket and not, um, not service and events is uh, because we can initiate a subscription over WebSocket 
that's a request and then response model. And also another reason is that uh, the, uh, what is it called? Strawberry Shake um, GraphQL client doesn't support um, SSE as a transport yet. So what this also gives us is unified state management for entities from queries, subscriptions, and mutations. So in GraphQL, um, you, in, with GraphQL clients and types, you have a field that's kind of uh, available on every type called uh, type name. And combining that with the ID field, it, the GraphQL clients use that for caching the entities. Uh, in the session state or uh, in memory. So GraphQL also has a great uh, tooling and developer experience, but so does REST. You have uh, Swagger and um, uh, all the code gen associated with Swagger and Open API. But um, that involves a lot of YAML, whereas GraphQL has its own strongly typed schema and query language. So what that gives us is we can actually write all our GraphQL fields and types as plain old C-sharp classes that return plain old C-sharp classes. Um, and on the front end, you just define what fields you want from the server and it will automatically generate all the Blazor components that you need to query that data based on your GraphQL query and uh, mutation operations that you've defined as well as subscriptions. So now we're gonna have a look at what GraphQL queries and mutations look like in the DevTools network tab. Make sure that's on fetch XHR. And we'll have a look at what um, a query request looks like here. So in a GraphQL request, you have um, the query, which is the query definition of what fields you want from the server and variables as well. So that search variable, this is the query to get the list of conversations from the server, and that search variable is just its default value, which is empty. But say we, if we wanted to extend this um, conversation history with a search um, feature, like a text box, we can um, pass that into the query later. Uh, next, we're going to look at some operation definitions, and I've made a typo. I'm not going to let that slide. Uh. All right.
So let's bring up our IDE and we'll go into client, then GraphQL. And I'm going to have a look at our query definition for get conversations. So here's our query type and that query type maps to this query type in C sharp. So we have this conversations field that has a few helper attributes on it. Uh, use paging, use filtering, and use sorting. So when you add those three attributes to um, any GraphQL field that returns a numerable or iQueryable even, you get this standard, um, the standard parameters for searching entities and paginating entities. So you can get a list of conversations, take the first 20, order it by descending, order it by created descending, so that way you're getting the most recent um, conversations, and um, you can pass in a search parameter as well. And that returns like some pagination metadata. But the fields we're worried about are the nodes, which are the actual entities being returned. And it returns a list of fragments. So fragments in GraphQL are a standardized way to reuse a subset of fields that you want to request from the server on an entity. So conversation with our conversation fragment, we're just declaring which fields are of interest on this conversation entity um, throughout our front end. We can actually use our language server to inspect what other um, fields are available as well. So the next thing we're going to do is we're going to run our own GraphQL queries with a GraphQL client called Banana Cake Pop. Funny name, but it's a really awesome um, GraphQL client. So we'll start off with our query type. And now we need to define which entities we want from the server or, or field we want from the server. So we want to query the conversations field and then query its nodes and then just get the titles. Uh, bear with me, I need to update um, some authentication headers which I will cheat and just grab directly out of the browser and hope it doesn't expire. Headers, there's our bearer token. Yoink.
and uh, we've got a list of new charts. So what we can do there, from there, is we can also request its ID. So now you get back a list of uh, your chat history with IDs, and we can go even further. We can even get created. So now you've got created timestamps. And we can go even further by getting a list of messages. Let's start off with message IDs. Ah, this is very old testing data. So what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to order by descending. Order by created descending, which will load the entire collection from um, the uh, Cosmos DB and then sort it in memory. So we've got lists of messages associated with our um, conversation now. And now we can start pulling out information like the content. And the role. So you see here, the first prompt is the system prompt. And that contains a little bit of prompt engineering to establish our context. Ah, I'll show you what the fragments do. So, with operation definitions on the front end, you might have um, multiple operations that you want to return the same subset of fields. And you don't want to repeat yourself every time you um, uh, define a new operation. It's like a subset of uh, reusable fields. It's, it's essentially like a macro. So when we use, when we actually use the data provided by GraphQL, are we using the fragments? Uh, are you're, we using this particular query? So you'll be using the fragment types if the, um, operation returns a fragment type, or you'll be using the uh, entity types if the operation returns an entity type. And I'll just show you how that works with the client library. So if we go to pages, uh, chat component, So this element here is actually generated from all of our um, GraphQL query definitions. 
So we have an operation here named get conversation, and that ends up generating a blazer, a blazer component named uh, use get conversation. And if we use uh, IntelliSense or the language server to inspect the result, the uh, result, the query result goes into this context variable here, which is then rent or, or used within the child content. You can kind of jump to the definition. So you, it ends up generating this code, I get conversations result. And we should be able, yeah. There's our fragment interface that gets generated. No worries. And next I'll just demonstrate how we can Um, query the conversations. Wait a sec for us to get a debugging context. There it is. So it's just like any other ASP.NET request, except the middleware eventually um, forwards it to these field resolvers. And the role of the resolver is to um, determine which data is um, going to be returned from the server. So I don't think we can actually enumerate over that, but we'll return it. And we should see it load. Or not. All right, back to slides. So with streaming responses um, and real-time communications in .NET, generally you'd use a library called Signaler. And you're probably thinking, why I didn't use Signaler? Signaler's great. Um, there's a couple of drawbacks to Signaler. So Signaler does not guarantee message delivery. So imagine you're using ChatGPT and you're streaming the responses, and then for some reason it just misses a word when you're streaming the response and you think, oh, is that the model? No, it's the, um, uh, a, say, packet loss or um, a connection interrupted. So that's why we need something a little bit more reliable than Signaler to push that data to the browser. 
So with SignalR as well, um, the caching and state management is very much do-it-yourself. Um, you're just subscribing to uh, events being pushed from a hub, and then there's nothing to help you from there. So yeah, if you were to do this solution with SignalR, you'd need your own um, chat state management service, and you'd need to kind of wire that up to SignalR to aggregate that with data you're fetching over REST and data you've been pushed to um, by a SignalR hub. So what that um, Strawberry Shake GraphQL client gives us is a unified way to manage your application state regardless of which transport it's coming over, whether it's uh, being queried over HTTP or being pushed to you by WebSockets. Um, all the entities get um, cached in a single in-memory store and uh, the world's your oyster, really. You can keep building on top of that. And uh, one thing that's kind of interesting is they're working on signaler support as, or, or signaler as a uh, GraphQL subscription transport. Um, I think that will be implemented eventually. So here's our solution with um, kind of a REST and signaler setup. You've got your .NET Core server, um, a signaler client in the front end that will subscribe to the signaler hubs, and you've also got a REST client as well. And generally what you'd do is you'd wrap both of them in state management services. So you'd declare like a chat state service that will first of all query up all the conversations by REST and then subscribe itself to a signaler hub and then listen to data from the signaler hub and push it to the, uh, you'd have like a, a list of um, like chat messages and conversations that you'd constantly need to update. Um, and then that will refresh the UI. So a lot of moving parts in that kind of um, signaler and REST client setup. That's a signaler solution. So what does it look like with GraphQL? Well, mostly the same, except you've removed two moving parts. You now just have a single unified client to uh, support all your state management needs. And the real benefit of that you, is you can start delegating all your state management to the server. Um, you can kind of minimize the amount of state management that you do in your front end in your client. So we've already done a bit of this, but what I'm going to demonstrate now is I'm going to demonstrate the last two things here. Um, we're going to observe state updates to the UI by subscriptions, and we're going to demonstrate what happens when we add and remove a subscription operation on a Blazor page. So 
So I'm going to switch my um, dev tools over to WebSockets, and I'm going to refresh the page. And we'll see here that we've established a WebSocket um, connection to our ASP.NET server. And we can see our payload kind of looks similar to a GraphQL query that we were looking at before in, um, in the HTTP tab or the XHR tab. But this one, instead of query, it says subscription. And so that directs to the subscription type we have in our backend. Uh, we have a few attributes in middleware that help us set up subscriptions in hot chocolate. But what we're seeing here is the page um, subscribing to uh, the on conversation updated topic uh, with that specific conversation ID that we've provided in the route. You see in our route here, we have route arguments, route parameters, and we pass in the conversation ID just through the route. And I'll show you what that looks like in Blazor. Pages, chat. So up here, we have uh, strongly typed routing where we declare that the conversation ID is gonna be a quid. And with subscription, what we need to worry about is this element here or, or component that's been generated. It's a use on conversation updated component and you just pass in um, the conversation ID parameter which comes from the route that gets injected in by the uh, Blazor router. And that's all you need to do to subscribe to events from the server. So if I were to simply just delete that, save it, and then rebuild the client, and then refresh the page, we've just disabled subscriptions um, for this page. So the uh, responses will no longer stream, but you'll still eventually get the entire entity once the mutation has um, completed. I'll just say, say hello. And I'm putting a lot of trust into um, OpenAI at the moment for these demos. So we've just said, say hello, and it responded as an entire entity. It didn't respond as uh, a streaming entity. Yep. Um, yeah, we're not going to go too long. I just want to uh, give give me some short lorem ipsum, and we're going to see how long that takes. One, two, three, four, five, six. Also, switch that over to. So it did eventually respond with the entity from the mutation. Oops. 
now I've done it. Ah, phew, it's just a new tab. I'll just go to the response. And you'll see here we got back from the mutation, the add message mutation, we got back an entity with type name add message payload. Um, Ah, yeah, we got back this entity with type name conversation and ID ends with 358. That's the same ID as we have um, loaded from the query. And so when the GraphQL client sees, it actually matches on those two fields, type name and ID, and it will update its local cache. And what will even happen then is it updates it globally. So any component that renders a, or, or subscribes to, or de defines that it wants data from GraphQL, it will automatically re-render throughout your entire application. So we'll just restore that subscription component now and rebuild. So a good, a good example of that would be creating a new chat and then saying something like, give me a cake recipe. And we should see in the left-hand side in the conversation history, it will give us a new title. Offering a recipe for vanilla cake. So there's no kind of manual state updates I have to do. It just automatically rendered that on pushed data. So I'll go over how that all works now. Um, there's a few different components of it um, at various levels throughout the stack. Um, subscriptions, iAsync enumerable, and uh, publish and subscribe of topics. So how many people here have used uh, iAsync enumerable before in .NET? It's a relatively new feature. But it essentially lets you iterate over um, streams of or sequences of um, entities asynchronously. Um, and what we can actually do is utilize that kind of asynchronous nature to um, push out uh, state updates over subscriptions. So we have a GraphQL mutation operation add message, so that appends a message to the conversation. Uh, we iterate over a streaming completion response within a method that returns async enumerable. So every time we get a completion streamed from the uh, ChatGPT client server thing, we get back um, the new state of the conversation.
So in each state update, we yield return the new state, and then that gets pushed out to the topics. So this is what a topic ID looks like. Got the user ID of the logged in user, uh, the conversation that's been updated, and then conversation updated, and the payload for that topic will be the new state of the uh, conversation. So when we um, open up that page, we actually tell the GraphQL server we want to subscribe to this topic. And uh, I've just played this slide again. There's no way to skip the animation. Enjoy. All right, so what we're going to do now is we're going to step through the async enumerable code in C-sharp with the uh, JetBrains IDE debugger. And then we're going to step through the mutation. And then we're going to step through the subscription um, operation that yields the entities from the topic. So I think the best way to start with that is putting a breakpoint on our add message mutation. So we're going to go to API types, mutation, and we have one here called add message. We have that little tick there, so that means we're attached. I'm just going to place thanks. Thank you, ChatGPT, for that cake recipe. And you'll see here on line 66, we have this um, async enumeration. We enumerate over it. So we're going to wait for our first um, pushed response from OpenAI. And here we have the first state update that we're going to push out to a subscription topic. So it contains an array of messages. And we're going to have a look at the last message that's being appended. Thanks. So we're just pushing up to all our subscribers that we have a new um, message in the conversation that says thanks. So that's being pushed out. Ah. Yep, so await for each uh, tells the C-sharp compiler to enumerate over an async enumerable. If uh, Usually you just use a for each to iterate over a I enumerable, which is not asynchronous. So we should be receiving our first um, pushed SSE event. And here's our bot responding with something. Um, that's empty string for now. But if we go to the next event that's been received, 
I need to do it faster because that um I need to step through it quicker because we lost our um our HTTP connection to the API. It broke the socket. So I'm gonna say thanks again. And then do that much quicker. And also refresh the page. Thanks. So I'm going to hit play a couple of times. One, two, three, four. And we should see a partial response being streamed out. So that's probably going to say, you're welcome. I hope it does. That would be very polite. You're welcome, let. So you'll see each time we step over and send a the new state of the conversation to the topic, we get the um, new state of the conversation. Another really cool thing we can demonstrate as well with the state management is um, because we've delegated all our state management to the server, it's not really going to care about your context or, or your window context. It only cares about your session. I just need to log in again. There we go. And I'm going to load the same um, conversation. And I'm going to disable this breakpoint. And we will see that both of these browser tabs are um, subscribed to the same topic. So all the state management delegated to the server, and an advantage of that is you can start to share context between different tabs without having to do any kind of inter-browser messaging. So the next thing we'll demonstrate is what that looks like on subscription operation side. So a good example would be subscribe to conversation updated. And that will get um, invoked when we refresh the page. And what this does is it sets up a source stream that we can subscribe to given that topic ID. And so any time where we publish to this topic using that sender interface that Hot Chocolate gives us, topic event sender, with that ID, we can subscribe to it from this operation here. And that's all you need to do. You really 
just wrap this uh, this topic in a source stream and then return it to the client. Uh, what else can we do? I think that just about covers subscriptions. Did anyone have any questions? Because I might not have covered everything there. Let's have a look at how I did um, rich text formatting. So ChatGPT by default is trained to render code and rich text responses in Markdown. So even in the production ChatGPT server, that's all rendered as Markdown. If you copy it to your clipboard and paste it uh, in plain text, it's Markdown. So in Blazor, we can use a, a C-sharp.net library called Markdig on the front end to render um, rich text from ChatGPT as HTML. Um, and for syntax highlighting as well, we need a safe and unsafe rendering pipeline. So if you've ever uh, used a, a, an ID like Visual Studio Code and just been writing code and um, the syntax highlighting suddenly stops working, that's because uh, the syntax highlighting engine has crashed. Um, so we kind of see similar behavior in the um, Markdown syntax highlighting library when we're streaming responses. Um, sometimes ChatGPT will just give a code syntax in a format that this library just doesn't handle at all. So now I'm going to demonstrate the uh, ChatGPT response containing a code block, and I'll show the code for rendering Markdown content as HTML in Blazor. And that will almost bring us to time, I reckon. So new chat. Don't have any breakpoints, good. So this here is a markdown code block. And here we just have standard rich text as markdown. Um, We have a reusable message component. And we take the content that we've gotten from GraphQL. And we just have this try catch here. And if we can successfully render it with the uh, 
default markdown pipeline, then we render it. If there's an exception, we just catch it and we uh, render it with the safe markdown pipeline, which doesn't include the um, syntax highlighting. So I'll quickly demo the Azure Maps visualization. So I've used prompt engineering on the um, system prompt to establish a context that essentially tells ChatGPT, hey, if um, the user requests uh, geographic information, um, it's rendered in the front end as a uh, GeoJSON um, block, and then we extract that and then render that to an Azure Maps component because the Azure Maps component can um, kind of interpret and render uh, geometry features from um, like a JSON text payload. So we actually use a regular expression um, in C Sharp on the front end to extract the GeoJSON object from Markdown block. So if the regular expression sees that there's a MIME type header, so in, in Markdown, you can kind of tell the renderer that's rendering the Markdown, hey, this, this code block's gonna be application slash JSON. We can actually say, okay, this code block's gonna be application slash geo plus JSON. Please render this as an Azure Maps component. So I'll show the code for, I'll first of all demo it, then I'll show the code um, with GeoJSON and how all that works. So this is one of the riskiest demos I'm gonna do. It is probably going to work, fingers crossed. I'm putting a lot of trust in OpenAI. Um, please render something. So I'm gonna say, where are some cool places to visit in Adelaide? And because we have that system prompt, uh, it, know, it knows to render it as a feature collection. which we can then interpret in the front end and extract using a regular expression and then pass the extracted GeoJSON payload into um, the Azure Maps component. Now, I'm not gonna guarantee that this is gonna be 100% accurate. Um, AI experts would recommend you to very much fine tune your models to present um, geographic information um, or extract geographic information from your large language model queries um, because I don't think by default it is trained to do that. So I think what we're gonna see here are some wild guesses as to where the language model thinks these locations are. Let's go. Glenelg Beach, did it get that right? A popular beachside suburb with plenty of cafes, restaurants and shops. Is this Glenelg? It's not quite the beach. But I'll let it pass. Uh, is this Haig's Chocolate Factory? I don't think so. <laughs> so that's an example of a hallucination. What's this going to be? But so if we were to fine tune, which you can do through Azure OpenAI services, this 
with your own geographic information, you'd get pretty accurate results. But these are just from this, your stock standard ChatGPT Turbo um, 3.5 model. So you're going to get pretty inaccurate results. What's this one? What do you reckon this one's going to be? Is it the central market? It's getting better. It's getting better over time. Hooray. And uh, that might be the Botanic Gardens. Let's find out. Very impressive. I thought that was going to go horribly wrong. It only went slightly wrong. And of course, we can inspect the uh, payload that we have extracted through regular expressions. Uh, who would like to see the regular expression that does that? <laughs> it's not pretty. It's not pretty. Uh, so we have this geometry helper class. And first of all, we have the uh, regular expression that I spent a couple of hours writing. Um, and we actually use this C-sharp 11 and um, .NET 7 feature called generated regexes. And essentially what's happening here is it's taking that regular expression and then generating C-sharp code. So it doesn't actually create a regular expression engine at runtime. It just runs C-sharp code that matches on a string that's equivalent to this regular expression. So here we pass in the message content and um, we match on it. And if it's of that MIME type, then we replace that uh, markdown block with a little uh, message that says generating a map for you. So here it says generated a, generating a map for you until the response is fully streamed. And I'll just show you how we wrap a Razor component, which can be rendered in MVC as well. The Azure Maps component doesn't provide a uh, Blazor uh, wrapper by default, but we just wrap the existing uh, com Razor component in a Blazor component. I'll just show you how that works. So for this Azure Map component, that's a... Okay, I Shush. found this on the web for how that works. Um, these, they're taken over. These AIs are taken over. So that's the Razor component. And then we just pass our um, payload in. Where do we do that? when the internal JavaScript component is loaded. That's when we pass in our um, uh, geometry information. So GeoJSON, it's a um, open standard. Um, most geographical information systems support it. Um, and yeah, it's pretty fun to generate that data from large language models and um, embed it into things, uh, hours of entertainment. So what's next? Probably re realized um, big things missing, tests. 
no unit tests. And that is because there's a couple of things in this project that the testing story isn't quite um, finished for. So I couldn't figure out how to test the um, GraphQL client um, properly. Uh, I noticed there is a in-memory um, kind of store, but I couldn't figure out how to test the strawberry shake client in uh, unit tests without, uh, without a lot of boilerplate code. So in large language models land as well, there's something that Microsoft has been working on called Microsoft Semantic Kernel. And this stuff seems really cool and a lot of it goes over my head. Um, but uh, Semantic Kernel provides uh, cutting edge design patterns for integrating large language models with applications. Uh, so example of that would be prop templating, vectorized memory, um, function chaining and intelligent planning. So I think Prompt templating is just like um, providing standardized patterns to engineer your prompts and using string in place. Or instead of using string in place, you get like nice um, standard patterns to do that. Uh, vectorized memory is, I think it's when your, um, your large language model application can, uh, can remember and associate things your own context uh, long-term. Uh, function chaining is when you take the, the output of one function and, and um, uh, pass that into another function or capability of your um, semantic kernel application. And I'm still learning what intelligent planning is. So lots of exciting things happening in that space, much to learn. So another really cool thing coming soon is in .NET 8.0, we have Blazor United um, coming up. So in that .NET 7.0 Blazor WebAssembly application I showed you, that's all rendered in the browser. Um, but in Blazor United, what you can do is you can set it to intelligently render components either on the front end or the back end. So uh, you can switch between server-side rendering and client rendering um, uh, throughout your Blazor application without having two different projects to maintain. They're just, it's all united into, it's similar to, um, it's similar to Next.js. So what are your ideas? Love to hear it. Um, yeah, if you have anything cool to suggest, let me know. Uh, now it's question time, but I'm sure you're keen to get the pizza. So I could, and I could do that with um, prompt engineering. So at the moment, we have our default um, system prompt that establishes the context, and that's static. It's just a standard template. 
but what we could do is we could substitute in um, like context-specific information. Like I could request access to the browser's location API, and then in that initial system prompt, tell the um, the tell the large language model or ChatGPT that uh, this user at th is at these geographic coordinates. And I can show you what that. Um... Uh, initial prompt looks like. So, you are a helpful assistant named Blazerbrain. Your responses should be rendered as markdown. When the user requests geographical information, it is presented to the user on an Azure Maps component. You should respond with a code block of valid application slash GeoJSON, GeoJSON format. I had to do a lot of tuning to get it to actually return results um, reliably. So a lot of different, like playing around with different prompts to finally get it to reliably return um, this format that can be rendered to the component. And do not mention this code block to the user as it is passed transparently to the Azure Maps component. So what I was finding this um, chatbot was doing is it was saying, sure, I will render this for you, that I'll render this map um, for you, which you can copy paste into a, um, a uh, Azure Maps raising component. So it just started telling the, uh, the user all about how the application was written. So a lot of fine tuning required. But theoretically, what we could do is instead of making this a constant string, you could substitute in information from the user's context. I forgot how to vim. Okay, uh, we've got the user's name is John, space. So that could be substituted in at runtime, and you could tell the large language model that this is our user's name. So if I were to restart that, oh, yep. And then I'll start a new conversation. Eventually, ah, here we go. What is my name? <gasps> yes! <laughs> really uncertain for a second there. Um, so, any other questions? Yes, you can go on my GitHub. Um, I just uploaded the code this afternoon. I don't have the link on the slides, but I'll post it to Twitter and, and Mastodon and all the other social media links I can. A, a dartboard? Dark mode. Ah, dark mode, yes. Got it. Yeah, like a little, like a switch button that changes the theme. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we're happy we have smart because it doesn't look cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just looks like, um, it just looks like a bootstrap tutorial. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, with that, we might um, 
just say thanks to john for that presentation really great stuff so